the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of Dead Kids, Tron, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures. Actor, Dan Shore. Dan Shore, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark with Corey and myself. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. It's, yeah, yeah. Good morning. I mean, good evening. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night. Good night. <laughs> um, so our podcast breaks down um, movie scene by scene, and which is a very challenging process at times, depending on what movie we decide to choose uh, to break down. But we broke down um, Strange Behavior. AKA wow. dead kids. Yeah. Right. And uh, what was it about last year, Corey? It was, it was season one. So it was actually about probably about a year and a half ago. It was one of our earlier films that we did. And, and I told a story in the beginning of, uh, of, of that broadcast or that recording that I had seen dead kids at the new Beverly cinema in Hollywood uh, years ago. And it just stayed with me ever since. And like, we have to do this movie on the show. Um, and so, you know, you obviously are the biggest part of that movie that we love and, and there's so much more, but having you on our show is like a really big deal. So thank you for being on our show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I, I have a Tron poster. I have my Tron shirt on. I can talk about Tron forever, but I really want to talk about strange behavior, AKA dead kids, especially that dance scene. I, I watched that movie, you know, for the first time, what a year and a half ago, and yeah. it changed my life. I dance like you, like you and everybody else in that scene. Now I show my wife that and everything. I love that song. That movie is so much fun. And uh, we hope that we kind of, you know, pushed it out there and everything, but uh, can, can we, can we dive into to strange behavior? AKA I dead love kids? strange behavior. And I love AKA dead kids. I wish it was called dead kids. Me too. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know how long ago, it was maybe six or seven years ago, there was a screening of it in Brooklyn, New York, and Michael Murphy and I were invited to it, and the place was packed, and we were, and I rewatched the movie for the first time in maybe 30 years, and I realized, damn, that was really good. At the, at the time when I first watched it, um, I was younger, and uh, 
less, more judgmental. Hmm. And I remember watching and going, wow, I was a little tense in this scene. I wasn't natural in that scene. And, you know, I was really watching myself. This time I had a massive grin on my face. I saw the love that went into that thingy. I saw the curiosity that went into it, the playfulness, the, um, the, uh, the satire of an entire genre without being satirical. It was, totally. you, you know what I mean? We played yeah. it straight um, and it was just the take of a, a horror film made by really, really smart people. And with, with a fun dance scene right in the middle of it. Like how right. often do you see a horror movie with that, you know? Never, and that's Billy Boy Condon. And Billy Condon became the director of Dreamgirls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Are you huge. kidding me? Huge, yeah, huge. Are you- and- I was going to say, did you get tense when you had to show your butt in that one scene? No, and I do remember Arthur Dignam uh, afterwards saying, Dan, that's all he had to say. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, th- I've heard from more than one person in my life that I had one of the best butts in the history of cinema. Good butt. Uh, <laughs> We're not going to argue I'll, with that. <laughs> I'll go with it. I'll go with it. And I'm going to say it's still there. It still works. <laughs> I can still stand up and sit down. Oh, man. Well, but I think I think it's a testimony to how awesome that movie is. If you can watch it for the first time in, you know, when you're 41 or something for the very first time, and it can be completely engaging, completely engrossing and more than anything, what matters, completely fun. Yeah, and yeah. And, you, and the nicest, that's just uh, Michael Laughlin setting up an environment on a foreign soil. We shot that in New Zealand. Yeah. The most beautiful place on earth then and the most beautiful place on earth now, um, filled with incredibly talented people who have, you know, I mean, Michael Murphy, Louise Fletcher, Arthur Dignam, um, um, Day Young, superstar. Um, I mean, just really talented people who were, uh, we were not horror movie people. We were, we thought of ourselves as artists yeah. and we were all treated that way. And it was playful in that way. You know what I mean? And we, we knew it was supposed to be fun and it, um, damn, it was fun. Well, there, there's something about that movie too, that I feel sets it apart from so many other films at that time when it came out. Um, it, it's it's so unique in the sense of it, it, it builds upon the, the, the growing fear and, and, and there's, and the less is more attitude oh, yeah. um, that personally Corey and I love so much. It's like that old school Hitchcockian way of like, that's exactly what Michael Laughlin was doing. And we nice. remember with minimal coverage, they did as little coverage as, as possible. He would set up long, long shots yeah. and let them sit. And, and it was very interesting because Lawton was not, um, he was a producer before he ever directed. And I think this might've been his first directing job, Yeah. but he had a great cinematographer and he had Billy Condon and Billy Condon at that time was maybe 23, 24 wow. Kid. and looked 16. He's the yeah. scarecrow at the beginning of the goddamn movie. Yeah. yeah. And Billy isn't, was a child and he's become a master. And, but he was a little super nerd. Probably like you guys, you know? <laughs> well, I, and, I wear that like, like a badge of honor. <laughs> right. And, but he was. He was just this little cinema cinephile. Yeah. And he could talk Hitchcock. And, and the two of them would plot these shots. And, and we would do them. And we'd go, where's the coverage? Only because as movie people, we knew that 
you need coverage in case you suck on the first day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we never got it and we didn't need it because they set up an environment that was going to be fun and rewarding and allowed us to be creative and playful. That's, that's awesome. Did you get to experience, uh, you know, New Zealand in between, you know, date takes and days and everything while you were absolutely, there? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. I, yeah. But I only saw the North Island. I never got to the South Island and, um, but I got a lot of the North Island. I went swimming on, uh, black sand beaches and, and snow skiing just South in the mountains. It, That's awesome. Uh, uh, Auckland, New Zealand reminded me of Los Angeles in the 1940s, maybe 1950s. No crowds, beautiful beaches, mountains, no smog, um, stunningly beautiful and humane, remarkably humane. And um, yeah, I saw a lot of, I traveled a lot. And I shot another movie with them, with Laughlin. Uh, down in New Zealand called Mesmerized with Jodie Foster and John. Yeah, Lincoln. yeah. And that came later and we had, we got further north in the North Island. We were, not, we were up Bay of Islands all the way at the north end of the island. So beautiful. And like you said, it's still very much the same in many ways, humane yeah. and probably one of the safest places to be in the in the world right now. Yeah, and they won't let people in because they're not stupid. Yep. <laughs> they recognize that people elsewhere are gritty little fucks. Yep. <laughs> yep. They're, they, you know, yeah, they're not. Well, you mentioned LA in the fifties. Uh, did, are, are you originally from LA or where did you, where'd you grow up? No, I'm New York. I grew up in Manhattan. I'm a New York nice. city guy. And I, I'm back in LA now for the first time in 18 years. Wow. And I was, a, I remember back then I was a New Yorker and I was never not a New Yorker. Then I go back to New York about 12 years ago and people are saying to me, God, you're so LA. And I'm going, <laughs> I am so not LA. I have, a, I have a severe attitude problem. Um, and, and, um, but I love it here. That's the weird thing. I actually love having a tree. Oh, a lot of trees. <laughs> I like having trees, you know, and love nature. And, yeah. And soil. Yeah. It's now it's now dust, but it's soil. <laughs> That's what my wife says. My wife, we are uh, we're in Santa Monica, and my wife says, you know, I love it here. Uh, I love our view of the ocean. Oh, but that's about it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally reasonable. <laughs> I'm I'm an East Coaster originally uh, from Maryland. I went to LA. I was there for about 15 years, and then now my wife and I are up here in Oregon because I oh. really needed trees in my life. Well, I was considering moving to Oregon, and oh, then, okay. but you guys are on fire. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't you can't win. You know? No, it's just it doesn't make sense. No. What's going on now since uh, COVID and the reality of climate change and climate change denial? which yep. is psychotic and unacceptable. Um, everybody, everybody that I've talked to from every walk of life is going, where do we go? What's yep. next? You know, where do we go? Because we all realize we've just all been unemployed and we have to restart our lives in some way, shape or form. Where are we going to do it? Where's the nicest place? You know, and everybody was talking, a lot of people were talking about the Northwest because it's so beautiful. Hmm. And with climate change, it's going to, you know, still be cooler. Well, that's not 
true. That's not and, true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're not all going to move to Maine yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're coming there. We're, we're, we're coming. coming. I, I know a, a wonderful actor named Sandra Barkley who moved yeah. to Maine. He got there first. <laughs> you know, what the hell are you thinking? He, and he looks like he was smarter than us. <laughs> do, do you still have family in New York? And are, yeah, yeah, yeah. are yeah. they doing okay? Oh, no, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I have one stepsister who is not doing okay. Mm. Physically, she's fine, but she became a Republican somewhere. And and I'm not a Republican, a Trump Republican. Oh, God. Uh, I have other cousins who are Republicans because they were successful. Um, yes. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Fiscal conservatives who don't want to pay taxes. I completely get that. Yeah. <laughs> but lying and destroying humanity is something different. Yeah. Um, denying the truth and destroying your nation intentionally. Not okay. It's not okay. Yeah, we were living in a wild times right now. Corey and I, right before we went on the on the on the air, we were just kind of having a similar conversation. And like, where do we go from here? I have a now seven year old son uh, who is very much like my beacon of hope. I and 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 try to instill values and morals in him. Uh, you know, and we think about when we were kids. Did we envision the world looking like it is now? Or, no, 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 and certainly not from the moral majority. These guys' entire ethos has been to be morally valid and to tell the truth and be decent and not be not be legislated to take care of your neighbor, but to take care of your neighbor. And now what we're finding is, is that people have a complete and stolid belief. And I now have it that people are basically horrible. Yeah. And I used to believe people are basically good. And now we find out that people are basically horrible and we're voting for that. Yeah. Yeah. That is psychotic. And it's not just psychotic because that person that people voted for is illiterate <laughs> and immoral. He's not even charismatic. He's a bad actor and a bad liar. It's stunning. And um, to be apolitical in this time is almost impossible. Yeah, it really is. You'd yeah. like to be. You'd like to go, oh, I understand where they're coming from. But where they're coming from is the hate of other human beings. Yeah. And and believing that everybody is basically bad. So fuck them before they fuck you. And that is not how we're supposed to live this life. That's not what we were taught in school. And I remember, uh, I mean, you think about Trump and his parents, who were some of the worst people in the world themselves. They were slumlords and horrible human beings taught him that um, uh, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you is a joke. And that everything that you were taught in school is a lie. Yeah. Play them. Play these suckers. They're suckers. Yeah. A sucker is born every day. And they were created by a, a, a morality. And that was Christian morality. And he plays against it. And he's now being followed by Christians. There's something upside down and inside out. And, oh, shit, we're supposed to be talking about dead kids. <laughs> no, it, 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 well, okay. it kind of segues into that. I feel like some of these people got an injection through the eye. And, uh, right. <laughs> see, yeah. see how I brought it back? <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's just, it's just no. the fact that, like, reality is now scarier than the horror movies that we grew up watching. There's I know. just something just terrifying about that. No, it's, it's absolutely terrifying, and you can't get away from it. Um, when Biden was elected, I stopped watching MSNBC. And I stopped, started calming down and yeah, not too. screaming at the TV every day. <laughs> but we know it's not over. It's yeah. just beginning and they're still doing it. And it's, it's shocking that the Senate knows that they're propagating a massive lie 
and not just one massive lie, a series of massive lies that can do nothing but destroy democracy. I don't know if we'll ever have a fair election ever again or believe that we'll have a fair election. I worked as, I worked as a pollster in the polls. I took people's votes in New York City just at the last election. And there were Republicans there, there were Democrats there. Impossible to cheat, an impossibility. People are sworn in, they're decent. They're on both sides. Everybody's on the same team. Yeah. All this dem democratic feeling was remarkable. And everybody was so right on and it's everywhere and you're being watched everywhere. They have destroyed democracy. Nobody's gonna believe it anymore when you have an entire Senate line. It's one thing with one schmuck who's no liar. Yeah. But everyone else backing about anyway, dead kids. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand, it rules. <laughs> I, I just say to, to 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 button that up really quick. It, you're right, passivity is is not a healthy thing right now. So you can't. Nope. Yeah. In regards to dead kids, uh, there's you were talking about you know the tone and the way the the scenes just like a scene will sit and, and there was like not a quick cut or, or or something jarring. I love that. There's so much beauty in that. Um, and and your relationship with your dad in the movie is so good. You know, like Michael Murphy, like such, like you said, you, you listed all the actors in the film, but did you, let's talk a little bit about how you got cast for that. Did, was that like an immediate thing or cause you had been working up to that point, right? I, I shot a movie called Wise Blood, John Houston directed Wise Blood. And that put, I had, I'd worked before that I'd done a, a mini series on TV called Studs Lonigan where I played Studs Lonigan. And then, which was a famous turn of the century book. So all the literati watched. Uh, and then I got cast in Wise Blood, John Houston, which is also Flannery O'Connor, more literati. And um, Michael Laughlin and Billy Condon are both literatis. They're both, yeah. they're going to, they're going to watch a great piece of literature. They came in and offered me Mark McClure's part. Oh. The, the sidekick. Yeah. And who is delicious, by the way. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much fun. Oh, and just so natural, so ridiculous. They offered me that part. And I said, no, I want to play the lead. At this point, I'd been playing character sidekicks. Yeah. Well, Studs wasn't. He was the lead. But I'd been playing a bunch of character sidekicks. And I remember my unbelievably beautiful girlfriend saying, Dan, you're actually handsome. And I was like, yeah, I could prove that. You know, and I really wanted to play the leading guy. So I talked them into it. I said, I want to play the leading guy. And they saw me because they had seen me in Wiseman where I was an inbred Southern. And I, and, and I, I was twisted. Um, and uh, it was character. They didn't know that I was handsome. And then I showed up, met with them, and they said, shit. Yeah, okay, let's do that. And it was done. There was no audition. Wow. Oh, that's oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I surprised myself. I mean, because I, <laughs> but it happened. And, um, and then, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just glad we're talking about this movie, you know, 30, almost 40 years later. Uh, well, yeah, actually 40 it's years. 40 later. years, yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, 40th anniversary. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, nice. Yeah. The, there are yeah. no coincidences, so that was <laughs> yeah. planned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then from there, did you... Did, did Tron immediately happen right after that or did you? It was close. Okay. It was close. There was a period of time. I don't even remember which came first, but uh, I was doing a play in Los Angeles when I got Tron. I produced a play called The Sport of My Mad Mother, which was a punk rock musical. Um, nice. Cool. Cool. And uh, 
Peter Jurisic was one of my best friends and he was in it with me. Um, and uh, someone from Disney came to the play and brought Peter and I both in. We were playing Ram and Crom, no, Fack and Crom in this punk rock musical. And we became Ram and, uh, God, I forgot. I forgot what his character's name was. But within one meeting, and we got the parts, both of us. Wow. Yeah, it was an audition. And um, I just, yeah, I, I'm sure I did Dead Kids before that because I walked right into a major audition without having, you know, just walked right in. Wow, and just wow. feeling good about it. Was the was the punk rock musical, uh, what 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 like genre of punk rock american punk rock british punk rock but it was american punk rock i had done this play in england before and what's uh, this is my favorite story about the play um was that i had seen a, i did a punk rock this punk rock musical in england when i was in drama school we did it outside of school at the royal court theater which is a big deal um and we i had seen this punk rock band i played drums in the show nice. but i had seen this punk rock band called generation x and Generation X was brilliant. And it was led by this singer called Billy Idol. And Billy Idol was the best performer I have ever seen. And it isn't close. It ain't close. Well, it was in a small punk venue also. And this guy just blew the roof off the place. Yeah, I bet. And um, so when we did the Sport of My Mad Mother in New York, we set it on a rooftop. I mean, in LA, we set it on a rooftop with a punk rock band and me dancing in the front like great like a madman that's awesome cut to the video of dancing with myself of billy idol when he became billy idol yep copied our set to a t wow <laughs> so i was doing him in a play somebody saw that stole our set and put him in it i freaking love that Maybe was, um, didn't Toby Hooper direct that video? I feel like he did. He might have, yeah. So I don't know if it was Toby Hooper. I don't know who saw it. All I know is that you steal from stuff. And when he stole from me, I was so freaking flattered. Yeah. It's a, it's a <laughs> so I was steal. I was doing him. I was just literally doing him. Yeah. The whole play. Preening oh. and prancing and mugging. I mean, God. Well, well, it also comes full circle, like I said, because I dance like you now from Dead Kids. <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> yes. And I don't think I was doing anybody. That was just me and Mark having fun. That's awesome. That's so cool. And there was a choreographer, so they were already doing that. Um, I guess that's new wave dancing, talking heads and Blondie yeah. and all of that stuff. Um, new wave. It's new wave. And I um, love that era. I really do. I, I'm not a dancer. I mean, I love to dance, but I, I don't consider myself to be a very good dancer. No. But I, I love, that's what we love about the 80s is that it was such a carefree, no one gave a crap. Uh, right. just have fun, feel the music, however you do, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and there's something beautiful about that. And the punk rock scene that was really emerging in those early eighties, uh, in, in the U S which obviously was taking from the UK, which just exploded with such a great new sound was so badass. It just injected such a new kind of vibe into the music scene here in America. Right. It did. It was fun. And Billy was in that. I mean, I, I'm assuming yeah. that Billy threw that was a lot of Billy. Wow. That's cool. That's nice. Cool. And so you go from punk rock hero into Ram. Yeah. 
Which a oh, very yeah. te technologically, you know, advanced film uh, in Tron still looks fantastic today. Uh, yeah. Zach and I, the, the movie, a movie that literally I've been watching my entire life, and uh, Zach and I saw it in the theater. Is my first time seeing it in the theater, wow. probably about five or six years ago, um, at the uh, in downtown LA. Uh, there's this uh, theater that actually has like a mezzanine, the second level. I know. And and it was it's such a beautiful theater. And I took my wife there. She she wasn't my wife at the time, but you know now we are. And and we so watched, it worked. It worked. It worked. And so, and but we're watching it, and I'm like, this is amazing. But when they go into the maze on the light cycles on a big screen, yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is like 40 years later, and it's so good. It works so well. It's so beautiful and so unique looking. But like, what was the process of, of working on that movie as, as technical as it was? No, we were just acting in a cartoon. Uh, yeah. They had, it was uh, all storyboarded, 100% storyboard. So you could see the storyboard before you did it. We were on a black screen, you know, a uh, black box stage uh, with black boxes on them. So we would climb up a black box, okay? Or we'd sit on a black box, stand on a black box. And those were just like, um, the life cycles were just, uh, what are those called? Sawhorses, yeah. Yeah. literally. That's and awesome. we would sit on them and we'd, we'd be in massive close-up. And um, the director, Jesus Christ. Um, oh, uh, Lins Linsberg? Lins Linsberg. Listen Listenberg. Lisberger, Lisberger, Stephen yeah. Lisberger would yell at us. Ride along, ride along, it's coming, it's coming. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and we would just do what he said. You're going right. And um, we were just play acting the whole time, like four-year-old children. That's awesome. You know, that's all we were asked to do, and we did it. And and the, I think the key to all of that is that, um, for me, my experience, because my most of my experience was with Jeff and, and with uh, um, Bruce Bruce Boxleitner. We loved playing with each other. You know, we were three little boys playing with each other, and like like make believe in the backyard. Yeah. And Lisberger set up that environment where he allowed us to do that and um, encouraged it. And he he did what he was a an animator, you know, and a cinematographer long before he did not really directed actors. He had done commercials. And he didn't really know anything about how directing actors. And he didn't have to. He hired people who were right for the parts and who were capable of making stuff up and doing what we had to do. So he would set parameters and um, talk us through. And with such love, the guy had so much fun. He was in heaven, you know, he's like a kid with toys. He's a, 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 a toy player, a game, he was a game player. He would be on today, he would be a, what would they call those guys who play game video games. He'd yeah. be that guy. And he got to create his video game using human beings. And it's awesome. And we trusted he knew what he was doing, which he did. And um, we liked each other. So playing with each other was really, really fun. And we, Zach and I talk about that a lot of times with, with these films, uh, you know, holding up so well over time, we suspect that a lot of them is because the, the, the fun and the love that was happening behind the, the scenes, uh, you know, comes through. And, you know, I think that gives a lot of times gives movies this X factor where you don't really know what it is, but there's this energy to it where I think it's a lot of people are having fun and you, you know, you're yeah. confirming that it's. Well, it's, when it be, I became a director and when uh, that's what I do. That's it. If you set up a good environment where people are having an amazing time, 
or having the time that needs to be seen on the screen. If there's a, a scene of pain, a director's gonna come in with pain. You know what I mean? They're gonna come in with that flavor that morning to help you guys get there. Not just you, it's the cameraman, it's the, 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 the guy setting up the lights, it's, it's everybody. And you set that tone. And when you're doing a playful movie, make it playful. Yeah. Even, even in the horrible scenes, when you're in a life cycle, you're running for your life. It's gotta be fun. It's a cartoon. We knew we were in a cartoon. What did what you think of that cost? The, like the costumes when you first saw them and everything were like, oh, oh I loved it. Was, <laughs> I had never been in better shape in my life. <laughs> I hired a trainer for that movie because oh, wow. I knew I want. I thought I was going to be Robin in Batman and Robin. You know what I mean? That's who yeah. I was in this thing. I'm Robin, so I knew I got to look good. Bam, pow! So I actually hired a trainer, and when they brought those skin tight things in, I went, oh yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. And then this is the problem that happened with Jeff and Bruce. Not so much me, but Brett, Jeff and Bruce. This catering, that, that this major movie catering yeah. on a major movie, damn, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best food you ever had. It's like, on major films, they really cater well. And then you start eating and then you don't stop. Yeah. And everybody had to worry about their tights. <laughs> <laughs> and Lisberger would come up to uh, Jeff sometimes. Jeff, you're looking a little tight in your tights. <laughs> Very funny. And he's like, Dan, Dan, great ass. <laughs> great ass. Yeah, well, he did. He, he, no, he said, Dan, you're in amazing shape. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and I, oh, and so I was. Uh, and I was. I've never been in that shape again. Yeah, it was uh my son is now totally immersed in uh marvel and yeah and and uh he sees someone like chris hemsworth and he's like or we were watching uh hugh jackman or something in x-men yeah, yeah. and uh and and he's like you look like you look like him daddy i'm like oh thanks dude and he's like <laughs> I, I said like really he's like well he's a little bit bigger i said well bode he worked really hard <clears throat> to uh to get in that shape so yeah and he's on a 90 foot screen yeah. <laughs> it's a 90 foot screen you look big, Even yeah. I look big. <laughs> oh man no i i just think it's wild that like what a what a what an interesting time this must have been for you in the in the early 80s because because you're just rolling from one project to another yes. um whether you're supporting ones. or leading and it just must yeah. have been crazy it was the it was um it's hard. It, it, it was wonderful. And um, that led to a massive fall because like you're saying, it was, I was going from one great thing to another great thing. And it was not effortless. I auditioned for everything. Not yeah, everything. Totally. Some of these things, Tron, I did uh, not everything, but um, most things I'd have to audition for. And I'd be a second choice for a lot of things. Um, but then it went down to after Cagney and Lacey, I did another, uh, Bill and Ted, and, and, but after that, it started to slow down. And part of that was uh, a changing of my energy because everybody thought I was 20 and by then I'm 35, yeah. you know, and I just don't have that and I have more gravitas and um, without a grab, uh, without the looking like gravitas, you know, um, yeah. I had more angst and more stuff. I had more life. Yeah, and they couldn't pass me as a twenty-year-old anymore. I'm okay now. I'm forty. Do me, and it didn't it didn't happen the way I wanted to. So when you talk about that, how great that was, it the second thought that comes to my mind is how terrible it was after that. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. And then the third thing comes is how wonderful it is again. Yeah. And not just because I'm working, it's because I found other things in life that are just as gratifying. Well, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, especially in your twenties when you really don't know yourself. Yeah. I I, I don't know anybody ever in their twenties that said I'm enlightened, you know? (laughs) No, but it was, it was glory days. Like you're saying, it's sort of like, it really was glory days. And I'm so pleased and proud when people like you call me and say, let's do this thing. I'm a little bit shocked that anybody remembers that I exist or that one, one of these wonderful gigs is connected to a different gig. Yeah. Everybody knows me as Billy the Kid or, the, or as Ram. Um, but very few people make the connection between one to another to dead kids, which is magical. Um, you know, very few people make all of those connections. So, um, and I did have glory days and it was an amazing time. And I will, I'm, I left Hollywood for 18 years and now I'm back. I've been back for four months awesome. and I've been seeing dear friends and, but I am still feeling the feelings of how much fun it was to be playing with the most talented people on earth, making timeless works of art. Corey and I both had so much fun, obviously seeing you on screen then watching you now, yeah. uh, you bring so much joy to our lives in that sense of like, we want to see more of you. I remember seeing black moon rising and <laughs> like, holy crap. Wait, I know that dude back before I knew, like I knew characters. I didn't know names. Right. Yeah, back when you're younger. Yeah. Back in the days. And then I see black moon and which I love personally love black moon rising yeah. um, for, for many reasons. But then I see you do that. And then, yeah, I was a faithful Cagney and Lacey watcher back in the day. Um, I had interviewed Matthew Barry uh, on a previous podcast when we were talking about the Wraith. And Matthew Barry had a couple episodes on uh, the towards the tail end of, of that show. And he had some fun, <laughs> funny, funny memories of Martin Cove specifically. Um, but but Cagney, Cagney and Lacey is one of those shows that often gets overlooked when people talk about great shows from the eighties, you know, they talk about Magnum PI or they talk about no, this one, the Emmy every year. It was, I know it's huge. Great, yeah. great TV show. Yeah. But it, was, it was an adult TV show. It's it was. not Knight Rider and it's not, it was a, uh, a, a story about two brilliant, two women who went yes. through, who experienced life. We were all sidekicks. Yeah, totally. Uh, it was all about them. And the two of them were so brilliant I would be shocked every week by how brilliant they were. Every day, the the how open and and um, how important their work was. Um, yeah, and that. that's a show that holds up well. Um, I've seen a couple episodes recently, and I have a quite a few friends on on Instagram who are like binging it right now. I don't know if it just popped up streaming somewhere, but it's it's in the zeitgeist again, and I couldn't be happier because, like Zach said, I, you know, I too watched that show as a kid. I probably didn't understand obviously a lot of what was happening, but I liked it, and I and remember th- it fondly. And what I remember is that we're, it was a truly issue oriented show. Yeah. And it became yes. and it was personal. And it wasn't just that, oh, women get molested. The character will be molested. Some, you know, they have to live through it and just and feel it, see it. And you get to love these people. Um, and that was it, it was about it wasn't just about cases and solving cases. And that's why it's going to live for a very long time. And it was I mean, that happened later. Now you're seeing the Sopranos where you get to know everybody. Yeah, that yeah. was the first one. I mean, that yeah. was 
when tele when you took hour long television and a police procedural and turn it into a story about human beings and and uh, and culture and society and um, and and about women. Yeah. And um, it was an amazing thing to be around all of these. It was a women's show, women directors, women writers. Um, and Barney Rosenzweig, who ran it, it was his wife, Charlotte Corday, was her show. It was a women's experience. And um, I had a neighbor here in LA who lived right next door to me named Nancy Malone, who directed this show. Women everywhere. And um, yeah, I, I remember how much fun it was. And I remember, here's an interesting thing. I just shot, I didn't just, a couple of years ago, Jessica Jones on yeah. uh, Netflix. Yeah. I shot an episode of that. And there were women directors and it was a mostly female crew. And it was a very fascinating experience because it was the first time I've ever been on a set filled with women. And I made one joke which I always do. I'm a, you know, I walked on this set and I looked around and the first AD, the second AD was unbelievably beautiful. The first AD, unbelievably beautiful. The makeup woman, unbelievably beautiful. And they're all wearing little short shorts. And I go, God damn, I've arrived on the island of beautiful women. They all shut up, looked at me and- Oh no. I'm dead. I was dead. Oh no. Nobody talked to me for the rest of the day. Oh no. Nobody. I was like banished. Yeah. I was, I spent the rest of the day playing with the extras. Oh. Uh, men and women. I'm, you know, Tyne Daly would be the bawdiest broad you ever saw. I worked with um, Angela Lansbury on Murder She Wrote. The broad yeah. was filthy. She was <laughs> 80, 70, playing 80 and just talking about dicks. Um, <laughs> in a Suzanne Plachette, I worked, these women were foul. And it be, but the reality was that it was a boys club yeah. but, and the, these women had to fight to enter that club or were really comfortable in that club. Either yeah. way, it was a boys club. Um, and, but I remember Cagney and Lacey with all these women in charge, being as bawdy as the boys, as funny as the boys, as brilliant to the boys in that. The world is morphing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. trying to find its feet again in this yeah. new sexual revolution. And that Jessica Jones was not a fun set. Um, but that doesn't mean the show wasn't good. Um, but it, it, it didn't have, there was, there was no fucking joy in Joy Bell. And that was, yeah. and I think it shows in the show. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's because everybody is redefining the universe. It's harder to find joy. I think in, in artistic right. projects or anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere. yeah. I'm serious. Anywhere. It's hard. Um, but back then, I mean, that was before COVID with Jessica Jones. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah but but it I will say, but no, the, I, I've never been. I have been. Um, what's it called? Sexually harassed. I have been there. Yeah. I've, I've experienced it. Now, mind you, yeah. I'm a guy. You know, so when I was sexually harassed, I was flattered. And told them to fuck himself. You know, you know, I've had casting directors who tried to do the casting couch with me when I was in my yeah. 18, 19, 20 years old. And I, I just told them to go fuck themselves. But, and I didn't get freaked out at all. I grew up in New York. We saw yeah. perps. We, we, that was, 
we grew up with that shit. Yeah. But I'm also not a woman. I've never had to fight my way through a man's world. So I get it. I get it. And I think somewhere soon, we're going to find that balance and figure out how to do it again. And many women who really do like each other are going to like each other. And men like me, who used to, you know, be obnoxious, I took no for an answer, but I was obnoxious. Yeah. I stopped being so obnoxious. It's happened to me only because I'm older. I think I would still be the same way if I were younger, but, um, and, and I'm more harmless looking. <laughs> you know what I mean? That happens with age, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I just remember these film sets that were so much fun. And I always thought the women were having fun. I always thought the girls who were flirting with were having fun. Um, I never had a position of power over anybody, but um, I always thought teasing and playing was what goes on. Um, well, there's a level of play. It, it, it's But there's tricky. a line. It's, a, yeah. it's tricky now, because there's a line. You keep hearing about these actors who did all these things, and they did absolutely nothing. Yeah. Al Franken did nothing. Yeah, off. Nothing wrong. Um, not even on any, did not cross any line anywhere in any way at any time. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? He made a yep. bad joke, but it wasn't even a bad joke. It was a joke that that woman had made many times. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think too, there, there's a conspiracy, well, valid conspiracy theory you can go down to. Some, some people were very happy once he was out of power because he had such a powerful voice for people, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, politically. Yeah. No, he and, was brought down, but no, it's the Democrats who blew it. Yeah, I don't yeah. blame the Republicans for going after him. I don't blame that part of the game. I actually understand. Yeah, yeah, totally. But when when you got this, come on, you got to back him up on this one. You got to go get the bad guys and back up the good guys, and you know, that's just what it is. Harvey Weinstein was a bad guy because yeah. he raped people. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, no, I, I was going to when you when you brought up, uh, you know, being in New York in that environment, especially in the 80s, 42nd Street. <laughs> oh, I grew up in that as a child. Well, wow. I, I was in a the movie theaters in Times Square as watching James Bond at the age of 12. And some guy would come sit next to my brother and me and pull his dick out. <laughs> but I remember in New York. We would stand up, and go fuck you, and then the whole thing. And the guy would run away. We're New Yorkers. We, yeah. we that was not, and we did. I don't even remember going home and complaining. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you, but you know, it's interesting. You tell that story now because I do. Corey and I do a lot of this on our show. Uh, we go down these rabbit holes where the some of the movies we choose um, bring up uh, moments from our childhood, and yeah. I look back on many moments and. You'll tell that story now to people of this generation or, or of the current generation. They'll, they'll be shocked. Oh, my God. You know, I can't believe that happened to you. And you look back and you're like, yeah, it's just a story. I mean, it's, it's like a wild stupid, story. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I have told that. I, I say it with a smile. On my face. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because I'm proud we handled the creep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we handled yeah. the creep. You know, I, I, I have stories of a guy pulling a gun on me in the street and me punching him in the face. And I was so proud of myself. Now I'm an idiot. But then I wasn't because nobody was getting shot. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Different, different time. They different didn't time. shoot anybody. This was the 60s. 
And they didn't shoot people. They, they robbed, kids would rob kids. Yeah. But they didn't shoot kids. So when he pulled a gun on me, I, I didn't even think that it might be loaded. Hmm. And I was really fast. So what you do is you punch and run. And I did. I punched and I ran and got home and I said, Dad, somebody pulled a gun on me. Said, You're here, right? I go, yeah. Good. <laughs> Dad's like, there you go. Good job. <laughs> well done, kid. <laughs> and then I raised my daughter in New York and walked her to school and home from school every day until like junior high school. We didn't do that. We walked our asses to school ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And we never became protective because, and our kids are not nearly as strong as we are. No. My daughter is a wimp. She can't handle anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know, and not this is a rough segue. Well, not really, but did uh, did that that intensity and that quick draw prepare you for Billy the Kid and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? <clears throat> oh, absolutely, obviously. <laughs> and I could twirl a gun by then. Oh, yes. oh, cool. No, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. Uh, You're like I've been doing this since I was a kid. <laughs> no, I all that I did on the set was throw guns all day long. I had done that with uh, with Ram. I was playing frisbee. I got to play frisbee all the time. I was practicing frisbee and swirling and spinning. And I did the same thing with Billy the Kid. Just played with the guns. Yeah, you, uh, you, you mean you weren't like Gene Wilder and Blazing Saddles? Were <laughs> yes, I'm just like yeah. They did have, they did have a stunt person, obviously, but I was pretty good. Well, it, it's 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 interesting though because you said that you made that movie at a time when your the trajectory was changing for you. Oh, it built the trajectory was the end of Cagney and uh no, no, no. At that time, I was still good because I had just come off Cagney and Lace. They killed me, um, I, which broke my heart. Yeah. But it won the Emmy for Best Director, Best Actress, and Best Show for the episode of my death. No, okay. So nice. I got it. I got it. And I'd already, you know, I, and I think what I was wanting at that time was more money. Hmm. So I, as an artist, I wasn't upset. As a human being who knew that here was an opportunity to stack it away for life that broke my heart mm -hmm. uh, but bill and ted came pretty much right after that and it was on a, i was on a, a little bit of a roll i had done i after cagney and Lindsay, i worked for about 14 months straight wow i mean just a real role including billy the bill and ted so i didn't Wild. feel my i didn't feel my career was on decline at that time um but uh yeah, it was incredibly fun. I mean, you can see how much fun we were having. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but here's another thing is the reason that movie is so good is because of uh, Keanu and Alex. I mean, it was just, it was a, a, a Labrador Retriever and a Schnauzer, <laughs> you know, just playing for eight weeks oh my god i totally see that <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean that's that's what it was and then yeah. you had the, the rest of us who were just like you know uh, i guess i was a spaniel and uh, you know and we were all just <laughs> the side dogs and and we were all having so much fun with each other those two worked for all the time they were never off camera so we didn't hang out as much with keanu and alex as we thought but the rest of us i mean i became good friends with jane weedland and with um, Jesus Christ, Al Loomis. I mean, those guys, we all became really 
uh, Robert Barron, who played Abe Lincoln, and I were in the bar every night together. Uh, <laughs> you know, Abe Lincoln outdrank Billy the Kid, and it wasn't well. <laughs> he's taller than you, so oh yeah, yeah. and he was—he is an old hippie. <laughs> that guy was an old hippie, and he had it way over me. I was trying to keep up with him, and, and Napoleon, um, uh, Terry Camilleri were, and I were in a play together, and not a different play. Um, and uh, I ended up directing him in a play later on. We were really good friends for many, many years before that and after that. And we still are. He's in Australia, he's in Aussie, and, uh, but we're still, I consider us very close friends. That's, that's, those are my favorite kind of stories. You know, what we were talking about, we just reviewed The Wraith last month and, you know, like Nick, Nick Cassavetes and like Matthew Barry are good friends. And, you know, they kind of came from that movie. It's like, that's awesome. And again, that's the stuff that I think we see on screen. And it's, that's the love and the en energetic love that makes these movies just hold up so well over time. And it's interesting how many life friends you make. Yeah. You could, uh, I mean, I have life friends, uh, one of my best friends right now is Tim Carhart, who I did uh, Red Rock West with. We spend eight weeks in the desert um, hanging out. We're in the desert. There's nothing there. And uh, there's, you know, there were like five actors and the whole goddamn movie. And he and I just hit it off. And today, 30 years later, we're, we talk every day. That's awesome. Can we talk about that movie really quick? Um, yeah. Because that movie, uh, Corey and I both worked at video stores back in the day. And yeah. I... I think you can tell we're obviously cinephiles and yeah. Red Rock West came out yeah. uh, with that poster of Nicolas Cage and uh, Dennis Hopper and Laura Flynn Boyle, yeah. really beautiful colors in the background, like these purples and blues. I was really drawn to it. I was drawn to the poster yeah. and I uh, was a huge Nick Cage fan at that time. Still am. I still um, and that movie comes out and it, it for a minute, it changed my life because wow. um, it was a, it was a noir film. I hadn't seen a noir, a noir film up to that point in that era that really moved me the, the way Red Rock West did. Uh, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful film. Yeah, it, it was. It was. And it, it was. I mean, Nick Cage was amazing in it. And it was a funny thing is that Tim and I were we were together the whole time. Breakfast, yeah. lunch and dinner. I mean, that was one of that, those experiences. Oh, here's a, my favorite Dennis Hopper story. We ate lunch with Dennis Hopper, I'm going to say, five days a week for six weeks. That's 30, 30 lunches. One month after shooting that in L.A., I run into Dennis Hopper and say, hey, Dennis, how are you doing? He goes, who are you? I went, fuck, Dennis. <laughs> jello brain, an absolute jello brain. He had been fried. He was so fried. But with all decency and respect and love, there was no negative. Like, Who are you? Nothing like that. It was just like he fucking didn't remember. He really didn't remember. And it was amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And that's who Dennis Hopper was. And I'm going to, that's Dennis Hopper. That's it. But I've done it too. I, people have come up to me and I go, ah. I, yeah, it but, happens. but Hopper was fine because I knew he was fried. I needed more LSD than I eat cheeseburgers. <laughs> So, I mean, I understood that, you know, um, the guy had, he's, was, he had an excuse yes. and, and he, and he didn't look at me like, where do I know you from? Which is, yeah. 
Um, yeah. So, and, and just going back to Red, Red Rock, John Dahl directed that uh, yes. phenomenal director. Phenomenal. That, you know, just you, you worked with, you know, going, like you said, going back to Dead Kids. And so you've worked on so many projects with so many, so many talented people. Uh, and you're saying that, you know, and like Corey was saying, the fun comes out on screen. You yeah. know that the relationship, like, like uh, I might have said earlier, you're, you seem like you were having a really fun time on the set of Dead Kids. Uh, especially with Michael Murphy overall, was that a fun shooting experience with dead kids? Dead kids was unbelievably fun. Unbelievably. Partly because I worked a lot. I was all in the middle of it. Um, So I got to play with everybody. Um, But I considered it playing. I don't remember ever once feeling like I'm acting. I felt like I'm playing. That's great. And that's what everybody did. And, it, and we had this great leadership in Louise Fletcher and Michael Murphy and Arthur Dignam, uh, uh, the Kiwi actor um, who played the bad guy. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, we just had so much fun. And it, that had a lot to do with Billy and, and Michael Laughlin and Michael Laughlin's wife, who designed the sets. And Susanna Moore is her name. And she's a brilliant writer. Susanna Moore designed all the sets. Um, I mean, I, we had parties, uh, dinner parties almost every night. Nice. They, there was the, that European tradition where uh, I've worked with European directors as well, where after shooting, it's a dinner party. Everybody doesn't go off to their own thing. We would have dinner parties and you'd be at a restaurant or you'd be in the hotel and everybody would sit around a large table, drink wine and laugh and tell stories. And I remember on the dead, it mesmerized another Laughlin set where we played Tribute Pursuit with John Lithgow and Jody Foster. Nice. John Lithgow was Harvard Phi Beta Kappa. Jo- uh, Jody Foster was Yale Summa Cum Laude. I went for one year to Northwestern at the time. And I could play with them. They did not kill me. I was so proud of myself for being able to play trivial pursuit with these fucking nerds, <laughs> you know, you know, and I could keep up with them. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Oh, Michael great. Murphy was on that, that um, it mesmerized as well with you. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. And we hung out in, look, we became, we shot another movie together as well. And um, I hadn't seen him in 20 years when we did that screening about a, a year yeah. ago. Uh, I mean, two years ago, maybe five years ago. It was like, we never, we're apart. That's great. I teased him from the first moment we saw each other. He got me back better. And um, it's, that's what's amazing. Um, when you have these things that even people that you don't see that often. I saw Bruce Boxleitner right before COVID. We were at a, a, one of those shows. What are they called? The card shows. This um, Comic Con yeah, convention. Yeah. And we did one, with, you know, and it was there was a little Tron. And um, when we got together, it was like we had not missed a beat in 40 years. That's awesome. I don't think I'd seen him in 40 years. And we sat there together and it was like, man, the exact same guy, the same voice. Everything about him is the same. And it was delicious. Actually, we had seen each other. When I think I shot the Tron uh, after the Tron second movie, we shot a scene to set up the third Tron. The yeah. one that's on the Blu-ray, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did the Blu-ray, and yeah. then we haven't had the third trot. Right. Yet. Yeah. So I'm saying anybody who listens to this, write in and get a third trot. Dan Shore. Dan Shore needs a fucking job. 
Well, you said you moved to, you moved back to LA. Yes. You said you're back. Yeah. What are you working on right now? I'm just writing. What, what we're working on, I mean, I went through COVID for in New York for a year and a half. I'd been doing theater in and around New York, hmm. you know, uh, doing regional theater. I did some episodics, I did some TV, but mostly was doing theater. Um, and then after COVID, not after COVID, a year and a half into COVID, I came out to LA to see our house, which had been rented out. It's a wreck. It's a disaster. So for the last four months, I've been repairing my house, um, as well as just got new agents and have just started going out for auditions and hoping to regenerate an LA career. Yeah, that's great. Nothing has happened yet, but I've got agents and, uh, and trying to regenerate a career and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, we were, we were talking to um, Tom Newman, uh, Tom Noonan, sorry, Tom Noonan a little while back. And, uh, and, and he was, was right during, like right in the middle of COVID. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right in the, the beginning, I think, yeah, when everything and doing a ton of theater in up, upstate New York and, yeah. um, and just it being brutal on him. So I can only imagine, um, well, we were blessed. My wife and I are blessed. We have a great uh, apartment in New York City. This house had been rented out. That's we great. were not going under, you know, and we watched, we were in the middle of New York City. during. So we were watching real tragedy. Yeah, ground zero. Real massive fear. And uh, we had a, a, we're set up in New York um, in a way that most people aren't. So we weren't worried. We had unemployment. We had everything going. Is that tra tragedy that you saw? Is that is that coming through in the writing now, or are you going in a different direction with it? I'm going in a completely opposite direction. Good, <laughs> like erase that tragedy. Just go positive in a in a positive manner. Um, no, just be playful again. Just okay. write things that are fun. I'm involved in one, two, three projects, and none of them are not completely playful. The point is that I. There, you heard me rant a little bit here. My rants are okay. There are other people that are a lot better at it and a lot more informed than me. Um, and I'd rather they take the lead in that. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a friend who says, Dan, let's do this. Let's talk about this. Let's get on the air and talk about this. And I go, I think Dave Chappelle is better. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. really do. I think John Stewart is better. I don't think Bill Maher is better. <laughs> but I like watching him. I watch because I like what he's talking about. He, but I, I just don't think he's that gifted. Yep. But but am I better? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, he he he'll read up. He'll get informed. You know, I'm 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 I I react on emotion. Well, well, we need more Dan Shore. We need <laughs> more Dan Shore. That, that is right. that is true, and more you know, yeah, fun in everything. Fun. So please, right. we're yeah. rooting, and I know our listeners are rooting too. Uh, here's so. one of the things that I remember about myself. You know, you go through when you go through these declines, right? When I went through the ten years from the age of about thirty-five to forty-five before I left. You guys know I ran away from the world and moved to the South Pacific. Oh. From 35 to 45, my career in LA was struggling. I was teaching. I do a gig every now and then. Um, but I was going broker and broker, and I was directing a lot of theaters successfully. But I was, but you don't make any money. I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. And yeah. I was just going further and further and further into debt. And then I was always, every night, every day, what, what did happen? What, why, what did I, what happened? And the way I describe it, and, and then something happened to me about 
three years ago, a little bit more than that. I fell in love with Jeremy Lin, the basketball player. I don't know if you guys know sports. Jeremy yeah. Lin was Lin Sanity in New York. Yep. Every team he was on, the team got better. And then people would complain, well, he's not Brad Pitt. You know, he's not Michael Jordan. No, he's not Michael Jordan. He's Jeremy Lin. And every team he's on is better. And then he disappears. He's gone. Nobody yeah. will play with him. He's gone. And I identified with him so much. My heart was so broken because I know that that's what I did. I don't think I'm Nicolas Cage, but I can play with Nicolas Cage and he's better when I'm with him. Mm -hmm. I may not be Jeff Bridges, but I can play with Jeff Bridges and he's better when I'm with him. And I know that that's what happened and why I'm in so many projects that lived for so long. Yeah. And not because I started them, but because I was in them. And there used to be people in the industry who knew that about me and kept bringing me back. Michael Laughlin kept bringing me back because every time I'm in his project, the vibe is good. Yeah. He knew that I, I brought that aside from talent, you know, but my wife kept saying, why is Sean Penn a star and you're not? I said, because you guys know baseball. Yeah. I bet 350. Sean Penn bats 550. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. That doesn't mean 350 sucks. It's unbelievably good. You know what I mean? Above average, yeah. Yeah, it's way above average. It's all star. <laughs> you know, yeah. I believe that that's where I sit, and uh, you know, Agreed. and that's and, but the ones that survived, I, I did survive, and I'm still here. But the point was, I went down and I had to come back up and travel through that miasma of self-loathing yeah. and questioning to realize, wait a minute. If I'm not going to play in the majors, I'll play in the minors because I love them. And all I had to do was like cut down my expenses and I could have a great life again, which is what we did. That's beautiful. You lifted our day. Oh, you did too. Thank you. You know, and, and, and I, for, for people listening offline as we were kind of approaching this meeting, just the energy, even through email was so positive. So, uh, you know, I, I knew immediately. I'm like, Corey and I are going to have a really good time talking to Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, thank uh, you so much. They, this was a huge, huge honor. It, it really was. Uh, again, so much fun. You were awesome. And as someone who's, you know, you've been in, in both of our lives, pretty much our entire lives. And uh, you've brought nothing but positivity uh, to both of our lives. And exactly. I honestly always shout the praises of Dead Kids, a.k.a. Strange Behavior, Good. anytime I can. So thank you so, so much. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Dan Shaw. And, as always, thank you for your support. Imagine 
being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.